The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I feel like I owe. I don't. Maybe not. That's the right term. I feel like I just want to be on social media a little bit more lately. I apologize. That's what I was going to say at the start. And then I bailed out. Now I'm back into it again. I'm sorry, guys. I have not been on Twitter as much lately as I want to be. Opening up this podcast with a mea culpa. We've had these giant projects in the works over here at Hoopball, and you've seen some of them rolled out already. Brand new NBA show last month. Brand new gaming show. Brand new Bulls show. The podcast division has just been going crazy, and we've been trying to promote the heck out of it, too. You know, our HoopBall Gaming Twitter has 770 followers already, which is very cool. That show, Taking Off, already has episodes that have drawn more listeners than at least half of our pods. Those guys are grinding so hard. we got a new sales division that's rolling here. That only started a month ago. Feels like... Feels like it's been longer since we got into all this New Year project stuff, but really things kind of started like mid-January, so we're like six weeks into this crazy project time. But it feels like I haven't been doing my usual work on Twitter in longer than that. It's only been like five or six weeks, but it feels like a lot longer than that. So I miss you guys, and that is how I want to open the show. I miss you guys on social media. I promise I'll get back in there soon. I love you all. I love you all. It's Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris. Yesterday's was a fun one. I hope you guys enjoyed that show with Brandon Marcus. I always have a good time with my buddy, B.D. Marcus. He hinted that he might be uh, hosting some episodes of this show. I don't know if he was joking, but I'm probably going to get him to do it (laughs) when we have our kid here in four weeks. Less than four weeks now, most likely. I'll get you through the season. Don't worry. Dano's by your side, but the offseason, if you may recall, many of you were listeners at this point last year. Not all of you. There's a lot of new listeners this season. Make no mistake. We're up almost double year over year. So for those that were around, you remember I did three shows a week in the offseason, and then my good buddies at HoopBall handled the uh, Thursday and Friday shows. So that allowed me some time to work on some big projects on the side, just a few minutes to myself, really. Opportunity to record a few shows I could do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I could record them all on rapid fire at the beginning of the week, and I'd be good to go because there was a lot of team preview stuff going on there. But it's a different monster right now. It's a different monster. The show has taken off to a degree that I I really, I didn't see coming. I dreamt about it, but I didn't see it coming. And here we are, you know, with shows that, I I don't want to get into the exact specifics of it, but multiple shows that are in the mid-thousands, which is just crazy. And many of you sticking it out for the whole season. Last year at this time, so many of you had already petered out. You're with me now, and so now I feel like I can't leave you hanging. So this is the part of the show where once in a blue moon I come on here and I just say, guys, I promise I'm not going to leave you hanging. I am Dan Bespris. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Big, 
fat thank you once again to everybody that continues to rate and review the podcast. You guys are incredible. And I'm actually not going to promo that. For one day, I will leave you alone. Let's keep this one a little bit on the more brief side. You've earned that with some longer ones this week. The Thursday edition will break down the Wednesday results. Only a couple of late games, which, as you guys know, means I'm, uh, in general, recording the podcast the night before when I can. We'll see if I can wedge it all in there. We'll start with the blowout. Brooklyn didn't have much left in the tank. Excuse me, that's the wrong game. I wanted to start with Boston and Cleveland. Whatever, we can start with... Yeah, let's start with Brooklyn. The hell with it. We'll start with Brooklyn. They didn't have much left in the tank, so we'll start with that one because it's an easy one. You can throw that out. Throw it out on the Brooklyn side. Memphis side, you can generally throw it out as well because they went into blowout stuff. I like what I'm seeing from Gorgie Jang. I think he would have played a couple more minutes in this game if it was even remotely within striking distance. He only saw 19 minutes, which, you know, is for him is often enough, and it was in this one. JV looked good. Tyus Jones actually played really well, but you're not going to trust that. And the thing with DeAnthony Melton at this point is that I know you can kind of throw this one out, but he just hasn't been super engaged with this team lately. Even in the starting unit, it just seems like maybe he's getting out-usaged by some of the other guys. So you can probably move on from that one. Boston was a weird one. They went in with kind of a, a B squad and beat Cleveland on the road, 112-106. Luckily, they still had Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum, and that turned out to be basically enough with Semi Ojale coming off the bench for 22 points. You're not going to pick him up. You're not really making any moves with this team. Jalen Brown might miss a week, but you're not streaming anybody there. Kemba Walker will be back in the next one. He was out for rest. It's just, you know, guys getting banged up. Daniel Tice simply didn't play well. He'll be fine in the next one. I'm not worried about the other centers. This was just one where Brad Stevens didn't like the energy he was getting from Tice, went to somebody else, and he'll be fine in the next one. Obviously, Tatum, Tice, Smart, and then when healthy, the rest of those, the usual fare, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, whenever they get back out on the court. Cleveland's been an interesting story because now it seems like, I mean, I basically called... Andre Drummond out for playing in one game and then now missing a couple. It seems like, I guess, he re-aggravated his calf injury. He didn't even dress for this ball game. So they'll wait until he's fully healthy, whatever the hell that might be. Uh, Tristan Thompson is still out with a knee thing. I don't know how long that's going to be, but certainly as long as those two guys are out, Larry Nance is going to go bananas. Holding on to him has turned out to be an enormous boon, and Colin Sexton looks really comfortable when Tristan Thompson and Andre Drummond aren't clogging up the key. He shot 17 for 30 in this game. Had 41 points, and he starts to look like what he was doing for a little stretch there at uh, the in January and February, and then petered out a tad when this team added some new pieces and tried to work them all in at the same time. So he had some pretty good stuff. I know Chetty Osmond played 43 minutes in this game and still found a way to not be fantasy useful. I hate his fantasy game. I don't want to hear about it basically ever again. Sexton, Love, Nance are all locked in. If Drummond plays, he's locked in as well. Kevin Porter forgot his jersey and ended up with a head injury. I don't know if that all came in the same ball game or what the exact story was there, but if that's why he forgot his jersey, whoever's in charge of checking for concussions on this team should be in huge trouble. But I ain't going to start something on this podcast. I just, you know, happen to be married to somebody who studied neurology. And so then you see something like this happen, and you're like, how does that slip through? 
If it happened in this ball game, then I rescind all of my hatred. If but if that's the reason he forgot his jersey, if he just like isn't thinking clearly and somebody whiffed on it, that's a brutal misfire. Anyway, cool to see those starters going. And and you know, with Porter, I don't know what would have happened if he was fully healthy in this ball game. He'd been trending up a little bit. And certainly he's been able to carve out more room with Darius Garland out. But there's going to be those inconsistencies. And this one just happened to be weirdly injury-related, so I don't know that you can necessarily put that in the same bucket. If he was fully healthy, he'd be worth using right now. Without Garland, he's got a clear path to basically running the point for this team. And then you get pretty good passing big men in Nance and Love. Oklahoma City beat Detroit on the road, took more effort than it should have. They shot the ball extraordinarily well. Thunder shot 61% in the ball game, and somehow almost didn't win this game. I mean, I know it was basically a blowout, like they were in front for most of the ball game, but it took more effort than it should have. Christian Wood had 29-9. and That kept Detroit in it. Brandon Knight is playing really well, and he logged 38 minutes. And he deserves to be used until Bruce Brown and or Luke Kennard come back. It seems like they're willing to trot him out there. And I'm not fully convinced that even when Brown comes back, he's the point guard. I think he might just soak up minutes at a bunch of different spots. You might see Brandon Knight with value until Kennard or Rose comes back even. And at this point of the year, a week, two weeks, whatever it happens to be of Brandon Knight, that's useful. He's posting top... 90, top 80, even maybe a little bit better fantasy lines as a starting point guard. And you just, that doesn't grow on trees. I had one eye on John Henson, but Thon Maker came back. And for Henson, he got off to a quick start and then kind of cooled off. He definitely does not deserve to be on a fantasy team. You can part with that pretty quickly. I wouldn't worry about it much. Nerlens Noel left and then came back, ended up with four defensive stats, and that's all you really want out of him on a night-to-night basis, and that's really the only fantasy story on the Oklahoma City side. Indiana got blown out by Milwaukee. They just got run early in this game. They did everything to try to make even remotely interesting. Doug McDermott had the best chance at it. I think he scored 12 points in the matter of like 80 seconds at one point of the game. Malcolm Brogdon hurt his hip. He's a little bit injury-prone. I think we can throw that tag on him. Victor Oladipo sat it out with a sore knee. And all of these things are combining to make the situation a little bit murky for this team. If only Jeremy Lamb hadn't torn his ACL, he'd be in for a really nice run here. They'll be okay. Milwaukee was without George Hill, but nobody cared. Dante DiVincenzo, I mean, that's a little bit more room for DiVincenzo. He had a really big ball game, but still only played 23 minutes. Nobody played more than 30 for the Bucs in this game. And such is the potential disaster of having a Milwaukee Buck, they might just blow somebody out on any given night. In fact, they generally do. Utah beat New York in a game that was a little bit of a farther spread than the final score might indicate. Alfred Payton bounced back after a couple of really bad ones with a pretty good one. Very popcorn-y, but at least the percentages were good. Julius Randle had 32-11. and 11. Utah's defense is a bit lacking these days. Rudy Gobert was fine. Donovan Mitchell was fine. Boyan Bogdanovich was fine. Mike Conley was fine. And that's as far as you go with Utah. 
Mitchell Robinson's at this one out with a sore hamstring. I think he'll be back relatively soon. I am not in panic mode yet on that front. Although it looks like if he misses any real time, that'll open a pathway for either Bobby Portis or Taj Gibson, meaning probably don't deal with either of them. Miami able to hang on and beat Orlando. Those two teams always play each other tight for whatever reason. That seems like it happens almost every time. Heat 116 and a Magic 113. Terrence Ross had himself a boy on Bogdanovich. Congratulations to Terrence Ross. You get an on-air round of applause from your friendly neighborhood fantasy host. 35 points and nothing else. That is damn hard to do. He played 34 minutes of this game. He didn't have a rebound, an assist, a steal, or a block. He did have a turnover, so maybe not a full boy on. But he had eight three-pointers. What a weird game. Vooch played extraordinarily well. Aaron Gordon had nine assists. His facilitator role has actually made the Orlando offense kind of interesting, although it's taken a lot of the shine off, or whatever shine there might have been. It's taken it off of Markel Fultz because, well, he just doesn't get to orchestrate as much as he did before. It's nice to see Aaron Gordon finding a new way to contribute because his fantasy game was lacking. Assist is not the place I thought that things were going to get turned around for him, if anywhere. I thought it would have to be the percentages, but you know what? Ain't going to throw those back. Extra two or three assists a ball game, that's a big deal. Goran Dragic got hot. Remember when folks were picking him up at the beginning of the year? He is super inconsistent. Duncan Robinson had nine three-pointers, so suck on that, Terrence Ross. Kelly Olynyk was good in 16 minutes. Jimmy Butler was uh, decent, if unspectacular, out of I.O., was not that great. And Jay Crowder fell on his face, which we sort of knew was coming, although he did still have seven boards, four assists, and a 1-1-1, one, one, and one, despite shooting one for eight. That will not be the last time his field goal percent kicks you in the teeth. This is what he does after a hot streak, but if he can keep the defensive stats, the threes, the boards, and some assists floating, he can kind of keep his value above sea level. Chicago has cut down to their prime at this point. They did get Larry Markinen back, and Otto Porter was still on his minutes count of 18. He had two, four, and three with a block off the bench. I think he's going to be all right. I'm sticking with Otto Porter. I'm sticking with Larry Markinen. There's enough time right now. Even if your playoffs start on Monday, I think there's enough time for those guys to ramp up to some fantasy value. If your playoffs start on the 16th, then you definitely have to give them some window. Thad Young still had value in this one, but that's slowly going to get phased out. And if Zach Levine really is back in a week, then you get a whole new barrel of monkeys. Kobe White had 26 points because nobody else was willing to shoot, but that's not going to stick either or when Levine comes back or Markinen gets his legs underneath him. Wendell Carter Jr. played 25 minutes, so his numbers are on the rise. This team is effectively eliminated from the playoffs for all intents and purposes. They just lost to the craptacular Minnesota Timberwolves. But... I think they'd still like to see these guys play together somewhere along the line. Something to leave a better taste in everybody's mouth. Right now, the only good taste that anybody in Chicago's got is Kobe White scoring the ball well. Otherwise, and I hope you guys have listened to Greg Mraz on our new Bulls podcast here at Hoopball, there is not much happiness in the Windy City. Nas Reed had his second good game in a row, 16-11 and 11 with two blocks, shot the ball well, missed some free throws. The percentages are going to hold him back. Malik Beasley had 24, D'Angelo Russell had 19, James Johnson had another old-fashioned James Johnson line. I don't know how he's pulling it off, but listen, we talked about this. We talked about this, guys. 
on yesterday's podcast, I said there's another good one coming up for these Timberwolves because they're going to play the awful Chicago Bulls defense. This is their opportunity to roll up stats two games in a row. Nas Reed's streaming value goes down hard starting now. That's just, I mean, that's just the, the honest to goodness truth at this point. He picked on two of the worst defenses in the NBA for good ball games, but now they have Orlando, a good defense. New Orleans, that could be an interesting one. Then Houston and Oklahoma City. Houston's going to be a weird challenge for him. Oklahoma City's going to be a real tough battle. And then they hope that cat comes back at somewhere in there. So get what you can out of it, but don't expect too much because this one against Vooch coming up could really cut him down to his prime. It's not going to be like playing the Mavs without Porzingis or the Pell. I mean, kudos, by the way, to the Pells because Favors is not a bad center and Zion's floating around in there, but they're going to run up numbers, so you'll get your rebounds even if it's not because you're defending exceptionally well. But, yeah, I mean, they've won two games in a row now. And Carl Anthony Towns still hasn't been a part of a win for this team in God knows how long. I mean, it's been... Right? Hasn't it been like half a year? Whatever. Dallas and New Orleans played a fun one. Lonzo Ball continues to truck along. Zion was uh, relatively human in this ball, ball game by all accounts. Drew Holiday was good. And Derek Favors had his sort of usual stuff. Mid-20s in minutes, mostly rebounded, hit a couple of shots on a high percentage, and if he can fall into some defensive stats, you got what you came for. Meanwhile, the best-kept secret in fantasy in trying to accumulate blocks is Maxi Kleba, who had another handful in this one. Porzingis has been a first-round pick for a month and a half. Seth Curry came back, picked up where he left off. Luka looked great. And then the battle of which other guy can get involved for Dallas continues to be a strange mishmash of Delon Wright, Tim Hardaway Jr., sometimes Dorian Finney-Smith. He missed this one at a hip injury. Who knows with this team, man? It's nice that they trimmed the rotation down a little bit. One, two, three, four, five, six, really seven and a half guys got into the game. That's good enough where then you can start to say, okay, Seth Curry's going to be good pretty much every night if he's one of only seven guys playing for this team. I'm not counting Michael Kidd-Gilchrist as playing. That doesn't count. I was watching that Portland-Washington game and thinking, hey, I wonder if Shabazz Napier can finally take advantage of, the, of an opening here. Because Ish Smith was out with a hamstring injury, and Shabazz was still just not particularly interested in participating in the ballgame. I mean, he was fine, but we were looking for better than okay. As it turned out, this game was basically Bradley Beal against the universe. Portland got Damian Lillard back, and they seemed, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, relatively pleased to have had that happen. He just made everybody better. This is the concept of, you say, do you make your teammates better? You don't need 10 assists to make your teammates better. You need gravity. You need to be able to pull defenders to free up people around. Now, obviously, the Washington defense is not your measuring stick for when a team is looking good offensively but certainly the Blazers shooting as well as they did and getting all those open looks and a lot of guys contributing and when I say a lot of guys I basically mean the starting five they'll take it they just want to hang around and hang around and wait for Memphis to run into a tougher opponent again and then maybe maybe they can jump over somebody they are not about to give up not a Damian Lillard led team that just doesn't happen 
I still like Trevor Ariza lately, by the way. I know he, he, I, I, right when the trade first went down, I said, you're probably looking at Phoenix-level Trevor Ariza. He might be one round better than that. I thought he was going to be like 105 to 115, and he's more like 90-something. Couple of threes, couple of steals. He's doing it on pretty efficient stuff because he's not overdoing it with this team. He doesn't have to. With McCollum and Lillard out there to handle most of the scoring now, Whiteside doing stuff on the interior, there's room for him to operate he doesn't have to go doing all the goofball dribble drive stuff he was doing in Washington. So the percentage is a little bit better, perhaps. I figured those would level off, but maybe they level off a tiny bit higher with a with a better situation around him. And then the question is, can he get the threes and the steals? And usually the answer to that is yes. For Washington, I really think we've, we've pared this thing down to Beal and Bertans. I thought, like I just said, I thought Shabazz Napier might be able to get up and over the hump, but... It's looking like he's just not going to have enough usage to get there, whether that's by design or by choice. Oh, well. Four-game Thursday on the docket. And then I want to talk about some news of the day. We did get some fantasy news that I buried a little bit later in the podcast. Denver is at Charlotte in what might be the least interesting fantasy game in the history of basketball. I mean, I just... I know I said that I can pretty much watch any basketball game and feel pretty good about it. I'm not certain that I can watch this game. I am not certain that I can put on Denver-Charlotte and make myself care. Because there's a little bit on the line for the Nuggets. You know, they're still fighting for seeding in that difficult upper quadrant of the Western Conference. Charlotte's terrible. They're rotating through miscellaneous centers on any given night. You just you don't even know who's going to play for this team. No idea. I have no idea who's going to play for this team. Who's going to go? Is it going to be Zeller? Is it going to be Biombo? Is PJ Washington going to get it to get to do enough to be relevant? I don't think so. I have given up on that club. Anyway, Clippers Rockets. Clippers, wondering if there can be a third guy. We talked about this with Brandon Marcus on yesterday's show. Is there an opportunity for anyone beyond Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? And right now the answer looks like no. It doesn't look like Patrick Beverly can do enough in his off-kilter point guard stats that you guys know I love so much. It doesn't look like Lou Williams is going to get the volume. He really hasn't all season long, even when guys have been out. It doesn't look like Montrez Harrell is going to do enough because through fatigue, his percentages have suffered this year. Honest to goodness, the closest third guy is either Marcus Morris or Ivica Zubats right now because at least they're starting. This will be an interesting test for both of these teams. The question, and I thought Brew did a nice job in his weekly Brews letter. The newsletter, by the way, we haven't promoted that in forever. I'll do it on Twitter. You should sign up. Hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. Do it. It's still going out every Monday, and it's amazing. Uh, in the Brews letter this week, Brew was talking about how teams aren't really game planning for the Rockets right now because they're like, you know what? Whatever. You know, we're going to run our deal. They're going to run their deal. It's the regular season. If they beat us, who gives a crap? If we beat them, terrific. But if we have to face this team for seven games in a playoff series, yeah, we're obviously going to game plan. We're going to figure out where we can attack them. We're going to figure out how we can defend them. But right now, they're a novelty. They are, actually, here's an interesting comparison, they're a lot like the Sacramento Kings from early last season. 
And I equate this to a baseball player coming up from the minors. Scouting reports are better now than they used to be, but they're still not even remotely close to the same. Some of you listening to this podcast are probably big into baseball. Some of you probably are not. Here's the gist of it. In the big leagues in baseball, there are hours upon hours of video footage of every pitcher in the league from every angle you could possibly imagine. Teams can scout that. Batters can watch that before a ball game. They can pretend like they're actually facing that pitcher. I mean, just like they're getting into the box against that guy. In the minors, sure, they've got plenty of data points. He likes to throw here. He likes to throw these pitches and these counts. But there isn't that same visual element that you get when a giant human is standing 60 feet, 6 inches away from you. So then these guys get called up from the minors, and they're chock full of adrenaline because they're getting the call to the big leagues. And they dominate for like four or five starts until the league gets the book on them. And then the league makes the adjustment. And if they're good, maybe they last. If they're not, they get knocked around a little bit. And they might get them get knocked around if they're pretty good. This is what happened last year with the Kings. And it's what's happening right now with the Rockets. The question is, what is the staying power? With the Kings, we saw that at some point, they it was a combination of factors. They ran out of gas a little bit. And teams started to adjust. They knew that De'Aaron Fox was going to get it and go at breakneck velocity every single possession, and so they started to adjust to that. Keep guys back. Don't crash the boards as hard. Little things that you could do. Don't let him make the outlet pass as quickly. Houston's not that dissimilar. They've gone crazy small. They've spaced the floor, and teams are trying to figure out, can we use a center against this lineup? Can we take advantage of having a big man who can just go right over P.J. Tucker? When is it an advantage and when is it a disadvantage? And slowly but surely, you're starting to see where teams feel like they have a little bit of an edge. Going to get a rebound when you're the taller guy. That's a better spot than just trying to post somebody up. Post-ups are just not, from a numbers standpoint, super effective over the long term. Sure, someone like Anthony Davis might have a lot of success, but somebody who's not as good in the low post, even if they've got a 5-inch height advantage over Tucker, probably only have him by 10 or 15 pounds, if that. PJ's a stout fellow. That'll be a good measuring stick. On the Houston side, we've seen Daniel Howe somehow kind of still hold on by a little bit to fantasy value. I don't know if that's going to stick. I think I've said on previous shows that I'm fine with moving on from anybody that's not named Harden, Westbrook, or Covington, and I still feel that way. I'm okay with it. I don't think you're going to miss out on anything. You might miss a game or two here and there, but it ain't going to change your fortunes much. The uh, Zombie 76ers are in Sacramento. Kings catching a couple of breaks here. I mean, anybody that's playing the Sixers right now is catching a break. That could have been a team that's pretty tough. Instead, they're five-point underdogs in Sacramento. Who saw that coming earlier this year? But they are without Josh Richardson. They are without Ben Simmons. They're without Joel Embiid. They're trotting out a weird lineup that features Shake Milton, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford. And that's probably, as I've said before, that's probably about as far as I'm going. With Sacramento, I do feel comfortable rolling out Harry Giles for the time being. He's about as far down the list as I'm willing to go. 
Toronto is in Golden State. You want to talk about burying the lead? I said I wanted to get into some fantasy news. Well, Steph Curry makes his return for the Warriors on March the 5th. And I will say, you guys always say I don't admit when I'm wrong about something. I was wrong about this. I thought he would come back somewhere around March 15th. I missed by 10 days. That's not all that bad, all things considered. But when they said he's targeting March 1st, I said, nah, probably a week or two later. And it's just four days later. So, by all accounts, that's me being wrong. So I'll wear that one. I still don't feel that bad about saying you could drop him in November. I know you're about to get what could potentially be five and a half weeks of pretty good Steph Curry production, and that's that's great. And in head-to-head formats, I get why you probably want to hang on to him in the hopes that he was going to come back for your playoffs. And it's, look like, it's looking like he will. He's not going to play in every ball game, but it doesn't matter because he's Steph Curry, so you just take what you can get out of him. In Roto, that's a roster spot that, oh boy, sit on that all season long, five weeks of Steph at the end. It's going to feel like a win, but five weeks of Steph Curry is still not even going to put him near the top 100, I don't think. He's barely going to play a quarter of the season, if that. Quarter of the season? Even a top five guy playing 20-something games, that's not... It's not enough. I think Draymond Green comes back for this game, too. I know we haven't heard anything about it at this point, at this moment in time, but I think he was just waiting to play with Steph. We'll see if I'm right about that. My tinfoil hat is on. Toronto's favored by 10.5 at opening line. Um, people are going to be clobbering the Warriors in this one. They're going to get so much action with Steph coming back. I might bet the farm on Toronto. Who, by the way, I think they get Marcus Solback for this game. He got upgraded from indefinitely weird tag to questionable. And you know how our good buddy Brandon Marcus feels about guys getting upgraded from out to even to doubtful. Upgraded from something to something else. He loves a good upgrade. And so far, he's been generally right. So I think Marcus Sol's coming back for this game. And I would pick him up anywhere you can get him. This is, this is a guy that was turning a corner in a pretty big way before he went down with his first injury, and then he played great in between his two. Marcus Sol is averaging eight, six and a half, three and a half, and basically one, one, and one. And his percentages are on the rise, and he's just outside the top 100. We're talking about a potential top 75 center the rest of the way. I'm sure there will be a ramp-up in minutes for him. There should be, although Toronto's notoriously friendly with their minutes. They'll play anybody whatever amount of time they want. He's not going to score a boatload. Don't expect him to score more than about, I would say, 10 points a ball game. But he's going to get you boards. He's going to get you assists from the center spot. He'll get you steals and blocks and some threes. He's a really interesting, in particular, roto guy at this time of year. And I think he's playing. I think he's playing in this one. I might be wrong, but uh, when guys get upgraded like that, this is what happened with Norman Powell. He came back. Van Fleet got upgraded, then he played. This is how Toronto's operated this year. They've just kept guys dark in the dark, quietly rehabbing, and then all of a sudden they're just like, he's questionable now. And they've pretty much played every time that's happened. So I think he's getting in there, and I would scoop him up wherever I could. I am in a few places. As soon as I saw that news, I grabbed him. I had to drop him in one league because I had simply I had too many injured guys, and he was the farthest down the chart in terms of when I thought a guy was actually coming back to play. 
But grab him. That's my take. Grab him. He might not be great his first game back, but he'll be pretty good, I would think, by the time your playoffs roll around. So you want to talk about news? We got plenty of it. Those are big ones. Steph Curry? Marcus Gasol? And how about the last one on the list? Rashawn Holmes was spotted going through two-on-two practice, and the Kings are hopeful that he will be back by next week. Mm-mm-mm. Let us hope, let us pray, and if you're in a weekly league, let us hope and pray again that we get an update before Monday. But that's a big one. What if, what if he came back? By the way, one other thought on the Raptors, both Serge Ibaka and Freddie Van Vliet are also are also questionable, but they weren't upgraded. So that's sort of a different storyline. All right, I think that's about it for this one. We'll keep it on the somewhat brief side. Oh, I do want to throw out a recruiting pitch. Through the magic of attrition and the desire of growth, a spot or two, if there are multiple great candidates out there, has opened up on our growing sales division. I thought we were basically settled in, but now we got a little bit of room. So hit me up if you would like to join the Hoopball sales team. There are multiple angles that this could take. This is an opportunity to indeed make some money. If you sell something, you make money. That's how it works in this world. And you need to be able to be available. You need to be available during Pacific Time business hours. All right? So this, unfortunately, is not something you can do at like 9 o'clock at night because many of us have time at 9 o'clock at night. But not a ton of us have business hour time. Uh, I'll tell you where this works great. If you work part-time, if you're on a night shift of some kind, I know a lot of folks that work from like 3 to 10 at a bar or something like that. If you're in the service industry, sometimes your hours get moved around a little bit, especially if you're on Eastern time, because we're talking about the West Coast sales stuff, that if you work from like, actually, if you get off early on the East Coast, let's say you're on an early shift, maybe you work from like, 7 to 2 Eastern every day, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., that means you're off by 11 a.m. out here. You've got the entire midday and afternoon. Conversely, if you're out our direction on the West Coast, maybe you work an evening gig. Maybe you got to go in at 3 or 4 in the afternoon and you work until close to bedtime. You've got the whole morning free. So I'm just thinking about ways that folks might have that midday availability. You need to be comfortable talking to people. Obviously, this is a sales position, so you need to be comfortable with that. But if you think you can handle it, it's a pretty good lift. But it's an opportunity to make some money, grow with us here at HoopBall, and uh, that combination is pretty good. Hit me up. I am at Dan Vespers on Twitter, or you can send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. That's the big one right now. Growing it out, bulking it up. Want to sell some stuff. We're going to bulk up hoop ball in the process, and you could be at the center of it, the tip of the pyramid. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll wrap things up next uh, or tomorrow for the week. Jeez, we almost made it. It's Thursday now. It's Friday tomorrow. Rebecca Black taught us that. There's a weird reference. 
We'll do a weekend review on tomorrow's show. We'll get you set for the weekend, and we'll start looking at our streaming calendar. Oh, yes. It's about that time. It's about that time. At Dan Baspers again, hit me up on Twitter. For real, man. For real. If you think you got it, bug me. I love you forever. I really don't mind being bothered. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. As I said, not going to bug you for any promo stuff on today's show. Just a recruiting pitch and just fantasy stuff. Let's have some fun. Short card tonight. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.